We're going to continue in a sermon series that we are four-fifths of the way through, uh, which is Advent 2014, or Christmas 2014, however you want to look at that. We've been talking about the sights, sounds, smells, tastes, and touches of Christmas, and this morning we are actually talking about tastes. I want to say something as a preamble to our time together, and that is this, the food on your table is not there by accident, it is not made of wax, it's quite tasty, and it's there to be consumed, so... Feel free to um, partake if you want to, as you, you know, that's what it, it was brought for you to share this morning. Um, so enjoy that during the service. Uh, always thinking about this time of year and how we experience Christmas. I don't know, and I was going to ask a question as we started our, our time in the Word this morning. Um, I'm sure for most of you, if you're like me, most of you have already experienced some of the sights, sounds, smells, and tastes of Christmas. Is that true? Raise your hand if you've experienced something of Christmas. Okay, let me ask you this then. How many of you have already experienced some tastes of Christmas? You've already had a family gathering. You've gone to like a, had an office party. You've done like the, you know, three o'clock um, food uh, thing at the office, something, right? Many of us have done that already. And uh, it's such a common thing. And, and I, I was um, coming into this time of year, it's such a common thing to gather together and eat together. Uh, and you know, if you've been around Christianity for any period of time at all, you understand that there's something about eating that's holy. There's something about gathering people around a table and breaking bread together that's holy. And, not, and um, it transcends so much of our day-to-day uh, craziness. If I can get a plug in here real quick, actually, um, the idea of family dinners, uh, which seems to be sometimes a lost art when you walk through the frozen food section of our stores. And this is not guilt on moms and dads for not preparing fresh-made food. But there's something about um, not eating in front of the TV with a TV dinner, right? You can still have a TV dinner, but have it at the table maybe and, and look at one another. Um, I've been amazed in our own family how quickly we, we made a practice of that, but how quickly it becomes you fall out of habit and you get into new habits where you kind of all eat separately instead of eating together. Something holy about that, isn't there? Tasting uh, that the Lord is good. Well, today we're going to talk about um, this idea of tasting Christmas and what Christmas might taste like. I'm going to continue this morning reading from the Gospel of Luke, and it's going to come before what Jen read for us. I'm going to read it, and uh, then we're going to talk through some things we see in Scripture today. Uh, Listen to the word this morning. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Well, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this could be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is already in her sixth month, because nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me 
as you have said. And then the angel departed. I'm going to ask you that we always do when we, when we experience the word of God, when we read it and study it and any group setting, we pray for inspiration and understanding what the word says. So join me as we pray together. Father God, we are here today because you are worthy to be praised. You are beautiful and glorious. And in the season of Christmas, when there are so many things to experience and to know, I pray that above all else, we know you. Not in a cliche way, but that we really know the truth of your love for us in Jesus Christ. That we would fully comprehend, or maybe more fully comprehend, the great gift you gave us in your son Jesus on that first Christmas. And Father, as we look through Christmas to Easter and all the promises that Jesus brought and fulfilled in his life, we come today with a sense of awe and gratitude for what you do, for who you are, and for your great plan for this world. Father, today as we come to study your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would inspire us to understand it. The same Holy Spirit that overcame Mary and brought forth Jesus, I pray that that your Holy Spirit would overcome us this morning that you would shape our hearts, that you would open our minds, and that you would teach us your word, that we would know you more fully today because we've come to listen to you, our master, our Lord, and our Savior. And we pray this prayer the only way we can, which is by binding it up in the name of Jesus. So we offer it in his name today. Amen. So thinking about these... uh, this, these tastes of Christmas, and, and um, we we've he- hear from Mary, but I actually want to start with what, uh, what David experienced back in 2 Samuel. And so uh, I'm going to flip back there. You can turn there if you want to. You don't have to. It's 2 Samuel um, chapter 7. There's two books of Samuel. And this is a story about King David. Now, I don't know if you heard the thread this morning already or not, but there's this common thread David's mentioned over and over again in this promise of his enduring house or kingdom, this, this domain that will forever uh, roll out before him. And it, it, we start way back. You can see how far back in the Bible we are at the beginning with King David and uh, his anointing as king. And we're going to talk through some of this um, starting in verse 1 of chapter 7 of Second Samuel. Um, There's a few things here. It says, after the king, that's King David, was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am, I'm going to read this, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of the Lord remains in a tent. You'll remember to this point in the journey with God that that, uh, they had, God had been moving from place to place and had no permanent home. And there was this growing establishment of God's authority and rule over a people group who identified with God, who God identified with himself. And, and here you have David, who's been anointed king, and he's saying, I'm being, I've been set in this place. And he realizes in a moment, he realizes, wait a minute, uh, I, I have this uh, reality in God, and I have this experience, this establishment, but God has nothing for himself. And so he begins to kind of have a plan I want to tell you a little bit about what, what it looks like to worship God, maybe, okay? Uh, we can think of King David as many things. Many of you know that he, he sinned egregiously. I mean, he, he sinned. If you think your life is messed up with sin, if you read David's story, he sinned so many times against the Lord and against his brothers and sisters in this world. And yet he found in God a compassionate God who would not quit on him and who would continue to, as he repented of his sin, would continue to love him and show him a way forward. 
But I want to show you in verse, uh, in chapter 6 of 2 Samuel, this ridiculous response that the king, King David, who's anointed ruler, I mean, you think about like, you know, we see our president or we see the rulers of other nations and how seriously they take themselves, right? Especially lately, we see how seriously they all take themselves. Um, you know, even to talk uh, poorly of a leader um, can, great, great event, can create great offense for them. And here's what happens. So King David is in, in his um, town, and it says in verse 16, As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, uh, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw the, when she saw, oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, yeah. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord. This is the place where the Lord spoke from, right? This real presence of God. As they brought the ark of the Lord, entering the city of David, I'm repeating myself, uh, as they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it, and David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Listen now. And then he gave loaves of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of the Israelites. So David offered gifts to God, and then he offered gifts to his brothers and sisters, right? Something to eat. Both men and women, and all the people went back to their homes. And when David returned to home to bless his own household, Michal, I'm not sure, I'm not saying that right, um, daughter of Saul came out to meet him and said, how can the king of Israel, or how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of slave girls of his servants as any vulgar person would. So she's deeply offended. And David said, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone else in his house when he appointed me to to be ruler over Israel that I will celebrate, I celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in great honor. This idea that when David, I just wanted to kind of give the idea of, when we read this passage in, in Saul, what we see in David is a king who is sold out to the Lord. Like, there's nothing he won't do and no, no greater thing to celebrate in this life. Um, a cu- couple of things that stand out to me is that as the ark came, David ran into the streets, leaping and dancing and, and carrying on, and later is accused of disrobing, taking his clothes off in the street and, and just dancing in front of the Lord. And whenever someone is offended watching from a window, and when everyone is watching, he says, I was only before God. I was celebrating the Lord and what he's doing in my life. And this kind of gives us this idea of this heart that David had to truly worship um, God in all his glory and to truly uh, um, celebrate what God had done. And so I wanted to kind of give you a little bit of a context for what happens because the next thing that happens is David then goes back. He gets kind of, you know, he shows up at his house to bless his own house and he gets kind of hammered. Um, and he says, now wait, he just fed all these people. And he's like, now wait a minute. I came to bring a blessing and you're offended with me because of my great love for the Lord, right? Uh, but then he realizes a couple of things. It's almost like he goes from this full celebration to like a full stop experience. And, and he's kind of looking around going, look at all the Lord has given me. Look at the Lord's appointed me to be king. The word says that the Lord gave him rest from his enemies. And, 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 he's, and, he's, and he's in this palace, this cedar, apparently a cedar home, 
right? Very distinguished. And he remembers that I left, I left the Lord in a tent, right? So there's something going on in David's heart where he's like, this, this isn't right. And I want you to see what happens. He says, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of the Lord remains in a tent. So then Nathan, who's the prophet Nathan, by the way, who, you know, Nathan's the guy that rebukes David, and he comes to him and he says, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, because obviously God is with you, right? I mean, this idea that David can do no wrong, according to Nathan at this point. Man, obviously you've got God's blessing. Just go and do it. Just, you know, if you want to build him a castle, build him a castle. Go crazy. And that night, this is the word of the Lord that came to Nathan. Go tell my servant David, this is what the Lord, Lord said. Are you the one who is to build me a house to live in? Have I not dwelt in a house? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt to this very day. I have been moving from place to place to place at, with a tent as my dwelling. Whenever I have moved with all the Israelites, look at that, did I ever say to any one of the rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Right? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut you off, cut off all your enemies before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on the earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself, listen, will establish a house for you when your days are over and you rest with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build me a house in my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And it goes on. You heard Dale read it a minute ago, right? But I, I want you just to catch this, right? And this is what we're talking about this morning with taste, because the question is like, you know, um, what are you going to taste this Christmas, or what, what will Christmas taste like in your home? And um, maybe what we have to offer is the best thing we can think of to offer someone else, right? And I'm going to kind of maybe redirect us toward God's holiness at Christmas, like his beauty. Notice what happens. David sits down. He's like, the God has given me all this. And you can kind of see David's heart. And he's like, I'm going to do something awesome for God. I'm going to just, if my house is this big, his house will be 10 times bigger. Like, I got these big plans for what God needs. And if you listen, and Nathan the prophet, who's rebuked David before, says, awesome, dude, do it. And that night, God shows up. And I want you to see, what word did you hear over and over in that passage? Did you catch it? I mean, I, I don't know, I paid 20 times. I. I, the Lord says, I did this stuff, David. Tell David that I brought him out. Tell David that I gave him that house. Tell David that I cut off his enemies, right? Tell David that I have not said I want a house yet. Tell David that I have not called any ruler to build me a house. Even tell David that when he's dead, I will raise up offspring of his lineage for my glory, and that I will do this work amongst the people. See, sometimes we think in our lives that the best thing that, you know, we can offer others is ourself, 
You know, I'm talking like about hospitality. I've been talking a lot about this in the series. We can offer um, our, our best food to people. We can offer all these things that we think, oh, that tastes really good. But the question is, are we listening to the God who says, I am the one who's at work here. I am the one who's saving my people. Indeed, are we listening to one that says, I am the one that Christmas is about. I am. See, sometimes we, we get that all wrong. I love it that um, he says this. If you don't know, the story goes on to basically tell that's exactly what happens. David does not build God a house, right? He does not. Um, but his son builds a house, the temple, to worship. Um, Solomon ends up fulfilling this promise um, that, that God calls him to do. I just love so much about this. I love that it, it puts us back in our right place when we, especially at Christmas, man, we think it's going to be about what we're going to do. So when we gather together, and I guess this is a, a, maybe a way I would ask it. When we gather together, are you more excited about what you're going to feed others? I'm going to take us off the eating side of the table for a minute, right? But maybe to be a host and you're going to have family in. But are you excited, more excited about what you're going to put in front of people? Or do you believe that God is going to offer something even greater. You know, I'm not saying we shouldn't offer, but do you think God's going to lay something in front of your loved ones? And I know many of you, many of you um, have family and friends who don't know Christ as Savior, and you go, man, this is the time of year it's so, you know, uh, pregnant with opportunity. Pardon the pun, right? I mean, it's so, so much opportunity to share Christ, yet do you believe that you're going to put something in front of them that's going to be more appetizing, more tasty, than what the Lord will offer himself, right? David is told by God that I am the one. I am the one. Now I want to go to our main text today, which is that the Gospel of Luke, which we read, and this being foretold, um, this birth of Jesus being told um, before he, he arrives. Um, I, I believe that letting God uh, really be the food for others is better, you know, than what we can offer. I mean, Letting God work, letting God have his glory, letting God have, God have his timing with people, that he would um, bring about repentance in their hearts. And I just want to kind of walk through, I just read it to you, so I want to walk through this idea um, of what we see in Mary's life. And by the way, this, I see a thread between David and Mary where both of them know what God has done and know what God is going to do, and they just get crazy celebrating and worshiping in front of him, right? And we heard from Jen, the, the song, it's called the Song of Mary, who she cried out to God in excitement of what God was going to do uh, through Jesus. But this is, we, we read this, the word says in Luke um, chapter 1, in the sixth month, God sent an angel to Gabriel, to Nazareth, to a town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. You see, here it is again. So not only was this what we heard in 2 Samuel about the building of the actual temple, but it's about this promise of the coming Messiah that'll be fulfilled. And so the angel comes to this person in this place, in this moment of time, to bring forth greetings from God. Greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Okay? And then the next thing it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words because she did not know what kind of greeting this was. So this reality that, um, first of all, I would say that in the Gospel of Luke, we see that God broke into Mary's life in a major way, you know, like in a terrifying way. Like he showed up in an overwhelming way in her life. I would argue when she wasn't expecting it. 
all of us know the story, so we think, well, obviously Mary was there waiting, hanging out, you know, God's going to show up. But no, Mary was planning her life. She had her plans. She was engaged to be married. She was excited. She was young, probably, Sam say, is 14 years old, 15 years old, just excited about what's ahead of her in life. And in the middle of this moment, this opportunity uh, of her own endeavor, God shows up and says, I'm going to do something great in your life. But when God shows up, she doesn't know how to understand this. What, what, what kind of a message is this from God? Why would God interrupt my great plan in my life? And, and then the key message that I love this, that the first thing that the angel says, I mean, in the first sentence here, it says, the Lord is with you. It's before she's even scared, before she's even nervous about what God's going to do. God is with you. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm speaking with you today. Because God is with you. Then reading on, he says, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And begins to unfold the plan that God has for Mary in giving birth to Jesus. Son of the Most High. This text is so filled with things that are referred back to the Old Testament, the first testament of God. Son of the Most High. You'll remember that... Um, I believe it was Abraham who was, who was um, wandering or, you know, journeying, I should say, and he offered a sacrifice to the God of the Most High. He didn't know who he was. He offered a sacrifice because of God's great abundance given to him. That, 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 that God would be a, a Romy Mary. You'll be with child and give birth to a son, and you will be give him the son, the name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. There's that promise again. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom, that's Jesus' kingdom, will never end, right? So God shows up in a major way, and he said, I'm going to do a great, great work. Um, something else that you will notice in this is, other than the great message that uh, the Lord is with you, and I do want to camp on this for a second, I think sometimes we can feel like in our lives, like, man, I don't know what's next or where I'm going or whatever. But man, I hope you understand that in Jesus Christ, the Lord is with you. That the Christmas celebration that we have of Jesus in a manger and the celebration we have at Easter of Jesus on the cross and then Jesus resurrected from the tomb is this reality that in our lives, in thick and thin, good and bad, that God is with us as his children. He doesn't abandon us or leave us behind. He's with us. And that's what's told to Mary because this greatly troubling message about her plans are going to change is, is kind of um, infused with this idea that God is with you. But I want to point out something else that the angel said in his greeting to Mary. And you can't miss it. Again, he says, you will, give, you will be with child and give birth to a son. And at that point, the entire narrative changes starting in verse 32. And it says, he, his, he, him, Jesus, Jesus. It's this re refrain from the angel that the moment that Jesus comes into the world, it's going to be all about what he will do, all about how God will fulfill his promises in him, in the Son of God, in the Son of the Most High. The, the narrative structure changes there, you see. And all of a sudden, it becomes less about Mary and more about Jesus. It becomes less about David and more about God. You, you know what I'm saying? It becomes less about anything and more about who God is and what God will do. He says, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his, of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob and his kingdom will never end. 
And that's the reality of Christmas for us. That in the coming of Christ, it becomes about him. Now, why, why would I make a big deal about this? I think two reasons. The first I already said to you that sometimes we can think this time here is up to us. We've got to do something awesome for Jesus. We've got to build something awesome for, you know, we've got to make sure that the whole world sees Jesus through us. And I do believe it's our job. But I believe that fundamentally, as a principle, it's God revealing himself to the world, right? That he is doing that work for his glory. That Jesus is saving his people. That, that's, that's the first. Um, the second is this. That for many of us in our Christian lives, and I am guilty of this, that the following of Jesus, that the, uh, the way our lives look become more about us and our effort than about God and his promise. Right? It becomes more about us getting it right than, than God saving us in spite of us getting it wrong. Do you feel that at all? I mean, I totally feel that tendency I have to, toward just self-righteousness, toward, you know, I know I needed Jesus when I was a dirty, no-good sinner, but now that I'm saved, well, I'm, I'm going to make it, <laughs> you know? No, man, I still need the promise of Jesus. It's still all about what he's going to do. It's still about whenever my tank runs out. It's still about whenever my plans are broken. That's whenever God's going to show up and do a work that none of us could ever have imagined. And I'm not saying we drive, you know, our lives into a ditch to see what God does with it. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying when the inevitable comes, when our bodies fail, whenever we are at the end of our rope, that's the moment that God says, but I made a promise. And he is Savior. And he is the Lord. You think about it, King David, man. And God raised up, you know, the generational promise not only in, um, in his son uh, with the building of the temple, but also in Jesus himself. Raised up this promise he made to David, to all the forefathers. Raised up the promise he made to Abraham. Follow me. Beautiful idea that it becomes more about God and less about us all the time in our lives. And I think at this time of the year, especially we can remember that, it's more about Jesus and less about us. The other thing I want to say from this passage is that the answer to Mary's concerns, how will this be? I know her concern is because she's a virgin, but you know, you could say, and I say right now, I'm telling you, man, how will this be, Lord? How will this be? And God has an answer for Mary. He says this, my Holy Spirit will. That's what he, my Holy Spirit will overcome you, overwhelm you, you know, bring forth this glory. I mean, it'll be my work in your life. And we've talked about the Holy Spirit a bit at Family Bible, but I mean, it is, we, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit should not be ignored or made trivialized in, in the church because I mean, it's God's work among us. The good manifestations in our lives are the gift of the Holy Spirit. The reality of our salvation is the seal from the Holy Spirit. I mean, everything that we've got in Jesus is a gift from the Holy Spirit of God. And we have in the Holy Spirit, this, this power and this assurance that God is working in our lives. How will this happen? How will this be, Lord? How can someone taste for the first time? Let me just ask, you know, how can someone taste for the first time that Jesus is Lord and not just a historical figure or an idea or a mythology? Because the Holy Spirit. That's the reality. Because the whole, Why do I keep getting dragged to church even though I don't understand this stuff? Because the Holy Spirit. 
Why do I finally understand what the scriptures say? Because the Holy Spirit. It's the same for Mary. It's the same for us. The Holy Spirit of God working through us in a powerful way. Um, I love too, and I can't end without saying this about this passage, that Mary says, may it be to me as you've said, I am the Lord's servant. Again, the attitude of I will do, if you say it, God, I'll believe it. And whenever everything looks different, I'll still believe it. And, you know, uh, you will do this work, and I will submit to your will. Uh, I love her, Mary's heart. From this place of submission and the overwhelming presence of God in her life, this chosenness that David expressed himself. You heard it. Why did God choose me? Mary's like, why did God choose me? From this place, then, Mary bursts forth in what's called the song, Right? My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And I don't think it's about her only, but about her and the community of faith. From now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And it goes on. He extends to those who fear him from generation to generation mercy, the great gift of mercy offered in Jesus Christ. Like, Mary gets it. God's keeping his promise to his people. This is going to be beautiful. And I want to point, say one other thing here. It says, and he has filled the hungry with good things. That ache, that desire, that thirsting for righteousness, that seeking, that asking, that knocking, that looking. In Jesus Christ, God fulfills it. And Mary sings this great song that Jen read for us today. He fills the hungry. He's helped his servant. And he is remembering his promises to Israel. This time of year, um, we can all do well to remember that. All do well to remember that God is a keeper of his promises. Uh, I wonder um, if, we, if we all uh, experience that in our lives. Um, have, we, have we tasted the goodness of Christ? You know, I, I, I think it's a very tangible thing. And I'll tell you, I have a tendency to forget. I have a tendency to forget, you know. Um, it's like going to the buffet. You want to go back a lot. You know what I mean? You want to you eat. You want to take multiple, multiple trips to the buffet and taste again. Taste it again that the, that the Lord is good. Taste it and see that Jesus keeps his promises. He invites us repeatedly to come and to dine at his banquet table. Um, I hope you've had that experience in your life. I hope you've seen it. I hope you've tasted it. You know, you've been uh, wooed into his kingdom. So then my question, my final question today is this. Uh, what will you offer or what will you feed others this Christmas, right? I know many of you are awesome cooks and bakers and, you know, everything else. Uh, what will you offer others this Christmas, though? And, I, and I, I hope that you do have a hospitable heart and you're opening your home. But I, I think about our opportunity to offer Christ. And I don't mean, and then this is a hard thing, so I'm going to admit this. Like, I don't mean this kind of preachy, uh, 
e, you know, um, evangelical, not that that's a bad word, you know, but that's kind of uh, overbearing, unloving, uh, kind of a tick mark in my, you know, success rate with God, how many people I've saved or shared my faith. I mean, this real, what will you just put before the people to eat? What will your heart's cry be for people who are gathered at the table who don't know Christ or at your job? What, what, will, it, what will it look like? What will you place in front of them to feast on? You know, what would you call upon the Lord? Lord, they need to taste you. They don't need better ideas from me. The last um, scripture we have today is from the book of Romans. And uh, Paul, if you've not read Romans, Paul writes the book of Romans, and it is a master work. It's his, it's, it's this, the book of Romans is overwhelming, only compared to my heart and to the Gospels. The Gospels stand as something that I walk through a word at a time, and I'm overwhelmed. But man, the book of Romans is so thick and so deep. And today we're going to just hear a few verses from the very, very end of Paul's master work, his, his um, offering of the Gospel of Jesus, this reality that in the Christ, not only did God save Israel, but all those who repent and believe the good news. That means Gentiles, everyone else on the planet is offered salvation. And he says this, this in verse 25. Paul ends his letter like this. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. And you could take that as like a neat little footnote, you know, like sincerely, Paul. <laughs> you know what I mean? But what Paul does at the end of his masterwork of this revelation of this truth about the way, the way salvation works and the way God's mercy works and the way all these things intertwine. I mean, Paul's inspiration to write Romans to the church in Rome. At the end of it all, he says, and what I do is I wrap all this stuff up in the bow that is the power and the sovereignty and the right and the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Do you see that in there? Now to him who is able. Paul's final hope for the church in Rome is in Jesus Christ, not in his own wisdom, not in the book of Romans, not in this establishment, but in Jesus alone, something better. To him who's able to establish you in the gospel and proclaim and proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to Revelation, being revealed through prophetic light, and here it is, by the command, the prophetic writings, by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe. Um, Paul says that this whole letter is wrapped up in the power and the hope of Jesus Christ. And then don't miss it, so that all nations might believe. It's not just there as a theological exercise or something you can kind of, oh, I understand what that means, but it's to believe it and obey God, to believe and obey. I wonder then, uh, what will we offer others as our final, you know, taste this Christmas? What will be the perfection that we put on our tables? I don't know if you've tasted and known Jesus, but I'm going to invite you right now to pray with me as we um, continue in worship but close this portion. But I, I, I want you to examine your heart and think, do I know Christ? And I mean, do I know him 
intimately? Do I understand? Is he, is he living in me? Do I sense his spirit at war with the sin in my life? Or am I living a life filled with sin and I have no conviction about it? Because that's a red flag. If you, if you just have no problem with your sin, I mean, the spirit of God wars against that in our lives. And all of us who know Jesus feel that battle inside. Like all of us feel it. Is God at work in you? And if so, are you believing the gospel and obeying his commands for you? Are you listening to God in your life? If you're not, I invite you today to believe the gospel and receive him. And in in your place where you are, God knows where you are. I'm going to invite you to do that. And all of us, I'm going to invite us to go back again to the buffet of Christ and taste and see. Please join me in prayer, uh, if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for this time of worship and this time in your word. We thank you for the, the, the magnitude of the story that we see in Jesus. We, we can make it condensed into this little, palatable, small, uh, consumable reality of Jesus. But the truth is that this was a forepromise you made before the earth was set in place that you would fulfill your work amongst your people, your creation. In fact, that you say all creation groans for your salvation. So, Father, that, that you do this work, I thank you so much for that relation that, that King David, who sinned so much, danced before you with reckless abandon, becoming more undignified than people can stand because of your glory. I pray, Father, a prayer of thanks for a young um, teenager who would believe that the gospel was for her and that she could be part of your story in this world, that she would believe your intimacy to that extent to let go of her own plans and follow you. Father God, I thank you so much for your word and Apostle Paul who, who's just radically changed and yet at the end says, my only hope is Jesus and nothing else. I, for my friends who are here today who, who have been drawn by your spirit, they've been drawn repeatedly by your spirit, but they just don't know or believe the gospel, I pray that your spirit would break through and help them to believe today that you would indeed pull them across that finish line to knowing that they can be saved forever in your name that there's no other name, there's no other religion, there's no other place that they can seek solace and uh, um, safety from the storm and a sure inheritance with you forever. And Father, as we come into your house, we realize that what you're building is a house that will stand forever, that we could never build for you. For all of us who know you and who've tasted, Father, may we never forget and may we continue to come and dine at your table. Oh, that we repent of our sin, of believing that we can do more for you than you have done for us. That we believe it's more up to us to save our friends than it is for us to offer them your son, Jesus, who saved us. May you be glorified, Father, as we seek you this Christmas. May you be glorified as your people come and dine at your table. We thank you so much for this time of worship and the time in your word, and we pray that it would manifest in glorious ways through our obedience and our life and through your Spirit's revelation to us and others around us. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.